Do you miss getting kicked in the face at Warp Tour? Did you shatter your glasses in a mosh pit in 2007? Did you wear more studded belts than a Final Fantasy character? Then we have the show for you. We are So Emo I Fell Apart, a podcast about third wave emo, late night live journal updates, burnt hair, and everything in between. Join us every second Saturday as we examine major moments in the history of emo and keep you updated on current events. Because it was never a phase. Everybody and welcome back to another episode of Unwise Girls. I'm your host Jacqueline, and this is Jane. And I forgot how to do the intro. We're <laughs> what is wrong with you? I don't know. The smoke is in my brain. I guess. Oh no! Everybody, send Jacqueline your thoughts and prayers. She's fucking dying of wildfire smoke. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Unwise Girls. Uh, how the fuck does the your uh your favorite podcast all about the books of rick riordan are you sure you're okay is that is that how it goes yeah more or less i okay but your favorite podcast all about the books of rick riordan what do i say after that (laughs) i'm your host jacqueline and then i say and i'm your other host jane i'm your host jacqueline and i'm your other host jane and we're your favorite podcast, all but the books of Rick Wright. Ry- okay, I think that's the order. That's the order. You're leaving all this in, right? Yeah, of course. Okay, um, good. I We've been doing this for a hundred something episodes, and I feel like I've never flubbed the intro of all things. No, you, you're usually pretty good on the intro. I think this is the first time you fucked it up this badly. Today, we're continuing The Can't Blood of Olympus. There we go. <laughs> i i'm i'm a bit tired um i think there's some combination of there's smoke in the air and also uh accidentally stayed up until like 5 30 a.m last night neither of those things are good for your brain no i i you know i still got like wait, seven hours of sleep so that's <laughs> good but something else that isn't good for your brain is always reading children's books but we're doing it here for you today (laughs) (laughs) and jane how are you doing (laughs) i i'm all right i'm very concerned about my my dear friend and podcast co-host jacqueline who appears to be suffering some sort of mental breakdown (laughs) (laughs) i appreciate you (laughs) I appreciate you too, Jacqueline. I'm gonna see Spider Verse tonight. Uh, so Are you, that's you're leaving the house. Yeah, it's fine. Uh huh. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'll wear my mask. Uh, the the particles can't get in if you wear a mask. Uh, that's what they Joke say. Concerns slowly becoming actual concern. <laughs> <laughs> I will be fine. Um, <laughs> however, the person who won't be fine is. Rick Riordan, after we get done tearing him a new one for these awful <laughs> goddamn chapters. I and the segue I would have gone with was speaking of people who are sleep deprived, but that works too. <laughs> speaking of people who are sleep deprived, Jane. I am pretty sleep deprived, actually. How about you, uh, do you have those those summaries before I say Fuck off. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> Don't do this to me. 
Oh my god, I forgot. <laughs> oh, I thought you were playing a trick on me. <laughs> no, I forgot. Um, I didn't forget to write them, but I forgot that I did write them. <laughs> I asked you whether you'd written them like an hour ago, and you said yes. How did you forget? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Chapter 5, Reyna. After a disastrous shadow travel jump, Reyna, Nico, and Coach Hedge nearly fall straight. I literally have it open on a Google Doc in front of me while I talk to you, and I still forgot. <laughs> Nearly fall straight into Mount Vesuvius, but Reyna is able to use her power of Bologna to lend Nico the strength he needs to create another portal. Instead of the volcano, they land in Pompeii. However, this exchange is two-sided, so she ends up feeling sympathetic pain corresponding with what he's feeling inside. Reyna explains to them that her power is that she can share her own attributes with others, and because it's multiplied by the number of people, it works best in large groups. The last time she used it was to keep Scipio alive across the Atlantic. Nico lays down to rest up, but not before warning about the number of Lemores, unfriendly ghosts, in the area. You may remember them from last book. Uh, Reyna leaves Hedge with her metal dogs, Orb and Argentum, to keep watch, then falls asleep herself. Chapter 6, Reyna. Reyna's an expert at keeping her dreams under control by visualizing what makes her feel safest. Unfortunately, even the tranquility of New Rome's Garden of Bacchus can't prevent the visions Gaia sends of waves of loam completely swallowing Camp Jupiter, then an arrow from the hunter pursuing their group piercing her gut. Her nightmare then switches to a winery just outside Camp Half-Blood, where Octavian and one of his fellow centurions, Mike Cahale, are recruiting previously expelled legionnaires into his army, including one troublesome torturer named Bryce Lawrence. Octavian is building power, planning on saving New Rome and taking it over as his ancestor Augustus Caesar did. And though he's currently having trouble with his gift of prophecy, he says that Apollo personally blessed his endeavors the previous year, and that the plan will kick off to restore his visions by capturing Ella the Harpy once Camp Hathlet is defeated. Reyna wakes up to even worse news, though. Tourists have started to arrive. Chapter 7. Reyna. The group is surrounded on all sides by tourists and Lemores, but that doesn't mean they should skip breakfast. After eating some delicious waffles, Reyna decides to dig a stroll through Pompeii. She takes a quick sink bath in a restroom, then soon after gets distracted by plaster figurines of those who died in the eruption of Vesuvius. She somehow gets lost in the distraction of how morbid that is for hours, and when she runs back to the others, she decides to fill them in on her dreams immediately. They talk about maybe contacting someone to help, like Thalia Grace or Ia, Reyna's sister, but they're interrupted before they're able to continue their journey. The Lemores disappear from sight before rising from the earth inside hard rock shells. Coach Hedge turns to Nico and Reyna and says in the voice of Gaia that the earth will swallow them and destroy the Athena Parthenos. Chapter 8, Reyna. The fight is difficult for a few reasons. First, Nico isn't able to control the Lemores due to interference from their shells. Second, when he tries to use Diocletian's scepter to summon reinforcements, it explodes after spitting out a few real losers. Third, Coach Hedge is possessed, so that's a whole thing. However, they manage to escape once Reyna conks Coach Hedge over the head and gathers the reinforcement zombies into a defensive formation, just barely making it into a shadow portal while declaring that she will keep the legacy of Rome alive. So Jane, what'd you think of the chapters today? Uh, I think, I think there's some pretty good stuff in here. There's, like, some cool, cool horror with the Roman, like, uh, the, the people who, like, died during the, um, during Mount Vesuvius. I think, like, we get some cool Nico tidbits. We get a couple of, like, uh, bits about all these characters' backstories. And I think it's all kind of bogged down by the fact that Reyna is kind of a boring character. 
It's really sad how true that is. Yeah, I was excited <laughs> to get a, finally get like a new character perspective in this. Yeah. But unfortunately, there's just not a lot distinguishing about her so far. I think part of the problem is that so much of these chapters is like her in her inner monologue foreshadowing cool stuff we're going to learn about her later. Yeah, that is a lot of it. We haven't had like books of setup for that to be sprinkled in or whatever, right? Yeah. So she just has to drop little tidbits like uh, there, there's a really awkward one really quickly uh, when she mentions like Oh, uh, my my insides felt like uh, what was it like piragua, mm-hmm. um, uh, uh, and then she explains like which is it, it's kind of like a a frozen ice treat that you would find and the, and it, like it's very awkward. It, you you sure can tell that this is a character who has been kind of on the periphery for a while and now suddenly needs to become very important in the last book. Yeah, definitely. Like there are, like you said, little foreshadowing bits, things with her backstory, things with like. I think the one part of that that I did find sort of like fun was uh, about like the first part of the Athena Parthenos cruise like journey. Um, mm-hmm. Their accidental trip into Algeria. I think they. I Albania. Think said. Albania, not Algeria, of course. That would be uh, way the fuck off course. Yeah, uh, their their accidental trip into Albania, which I didn't think was was pretty funny. That is short story material right there. Everybody, all of them agreeing that they are never to speak of this again. That means that at some point we're going to get a short story where Nico tells Percy what happened. Probably right. Uh, <laughs> it, it's it's the fucking the classic TV trope. It's the noodle incident, right? Uh huh. I guess it doesn't feel like there's much to distinguish her from any other Roman camper, to be honest. Yeah. She is the um, cool blonde girl in the group who fights with a dagger and is very strategic and tactical. Is she blonde? I think so. Wait, I might be wrong about that. I might just be projecting Annabeth onto her, which is the, the point is that she's kind of like shittier Annabeth. She is like shittier Annabeth, but I will say that she's probably not... <laughs> Rena Ariano Ramirez, probably not blonde? She might dye her hair, you don't know. I'm looking at images of her right now, and she's not blonde. Okay, well, in that also, case... Also, I said her name wrong, so I'm going to cut... So I'm going to just cut that out. <laughs> oh, so your fuck-up gets cut out, but mine... Oh, mine has to be fucking lampooned in front of all our listeners. I switched her names around. Uh, <laughs> I forgot that it was raw-raw, not raw Uh <laughs> No, you're right. Oh, fuck me. There's fucking spoilers right on the front page. No! Uh, God fucking damn it. Um, I, I shouldn't look at anything. Um, oh my fucking God, two spoilers. I fucking Stop hate... looking at it. I close out with the fucking wiki. I tried to so fast, but then I was like, okay, let me look at her picture one more time to make sure she isn't blonde. I got two spoilers. Oh my fucking God. This is a fucking mess of an episode, but I guess it has to all be left in. I, you know what? I'm enjoying it. Yeah. And I think as long as we're having fun, that's what counts, even if the listening experience is fucking terrible. Anyway, Raina, her biggest trait so far just seems to be that she is kind of like a, I don't know, like more into the Roman nationalism thing. She is very into that. Like, her final line here is that she won't let the legacy of Rome die. There are like there's a there are like fist fights going on in the PJO TV show writers room, right? Must be. 
like Rick, Rick Riordan and was, was John Steinberg. Yeah. Yeah, the, the, those two are fucking knocking each other's teeth out every day because the, he, for some reason, Rick Ryden for his series about like kids who love civilization, TM, and want to preserve civilization against the hordes of evil monsters, hired the guy who wrote a four-season TV show about how civilization fucking sucks. <laughs> yeah, it's it's one of those mind-boggling decisions that you have to appreciate because it's awesome uh but also you really just want to get a peek inside of that writer's room absolutely uh, yeah reina just seems kind of awful like does she have it's not i we're exact maybe i'm exaggerating a little bit mm, right mm. uh but like no some she of the shit she of, says is straight up evil she says that like um she she's they're in the house of the fawn and coach hedge makes a joke like oh it's the house of the satyr now and reda comments on how uh she likes uh being around coach hedge as a satyr so much better because if she was around any of the fawns they would have taken all of her valuables and like looted her and taken her stuff and left in the middle of the night and i'm really glad that um instead of like Instead of doing the thing that would already have kind of sucked, where it's just like, oh, you know, the the fawns at Camp Jupiter, they're the same as the satyrs, but they just, you know, they're layabouts, they're, we don't expect that much of them, like Jason was saying. Raina has decided to make it a race thing, I guess. A like, little bit, yeah. Be- better classes of goat people, some of them aren't dirty and stinky and jobless. It's awful. It's <laughs> it just sucks. awful to read. She makes Jason look good by comparison. She does. We literally spent half of last episode talking about how Jason was transforming into a neocon, and <laughs> that she's so. Is this who transformed him into that? That you know what that would explain it. Maybe he, he's like regressing because he was around Reina for a while again. Yeah. What was some more bad Reina stuff here? I don't know. That stuck out to me as the most evil thing. For sure. Yeah. I. She stabbed she also, a horse. Uh, that, that's fine i got that's sad mostly like her description <laughs> yeah. of having to like kill scipio, scipio i was kind of i was shocked that it went it's not it doesn't like you know flash back to the actual event or anything but it the fact that it went as explicit as it did with like oh, yeah no she stabbed her horse yeah like that kind of caught me off guard it's gruesome right the idea of like i had to like he was going to die i like used my life an energy to like get him forward and then had to kill him at the end when he like it specifically it, says like and he looked at me with complete trust before i did with it his trusting eyes jesus christ awful stuff like that that's <laughs> that hits for sure um there's also a bit where like she talks about how uh she should have had one of the like the new romans who got expelled executed instead oh, she does say that she loves the death penalty she does kind of say that. I I feel like I I'm being too harsh on her, but this is a bad showing. This is a bad showing for this character, I think. There's a whole book left. She might improve. Uh-huh. We've historically liked Reyna okay when she's been in like the secondary character role. Also, that fucking kid. Mm-hmm. That kid is the greatest threat to Camp Jupiter that exists. Which like, kid? Uh, what the fuck Bryce is Bryce Lawrence? Name? Bryce Lawrence, the, the one that... Raina uh, says is a uh, quote-unquote psychopath, uh, and apparently he like set a cat on fire or something, and he's like suspected of accident of of like killing the leader of his legion, which puts him you... one above Octavian, who unsuccessfully tried to murder someone. Yeah, how uh, often does this happen? 
And also one above Polybates. Because... Yeah, the, you're right. Because nobody died in that fucking fight, which I guess is why Reyna feels more pain from Nico than she did from the entirety of Camp Jupiter during that fight. That's a that's amazing. Wow, I <laughs> forgot about that. Yeah. I, I do like her power, though. I think her power is interesting. Uh, yeah. It's... It's very, like, utility, like, uh, this sort of character who is, it's part of, like, her, it's part of, like, I guess the, um, the idea of this character who is a, like, her, her position in the story is as a leader, like, the harrowed mm-hmm. leader who is, you know, becoming a renegade to try and do what's best. Uh, and first of all, I, I think that's just a, a role and position that I don't always find super interesting. Mm-hmm. And second, but her power of like being able to extend her own natural attributes to others multiplied by the number of forces meaning like if she has more people behind her she will always be able to win basically uh that that lends itself really well i think to like those same ideas that's cool and it is like it is for sure a different version of leadership from what we see from like jason like jason is the leader because he's the son of zeus and he has like the lightning powers and the cool sword and he's like it's because he's the biggest, strongest, most powerful one in the group. Yeah. Whereas the emphasis with Reyna is very much being put on, no, she knows how to, like, manage people. And that's that's what makes her a good leader. It's the fucking... It, Jason is, to use a very hackneyed comparison, Jason is fucking Darth Vader and Reyna is Thrawn. Yeah, I think that probably makes sense from what I understand of what a Thrawn is. Uh, mm-hmm. But... That I feel like we discussed Thrawn at least five times on this very podcast, but <laughs> we should read the Thrawn books of the bonus show or something. I guess so. I feel like we're really getting away from any of the ideas of that podcast by this point, so it's probably fine. <laughs> what ideas? The whole thing from the start is just that we talk about whatever the fuck we want to for an hour. <laughs> I guess so. We, we can. I'm sure we can find some fucking element of Greek mythology in there. Wait. Hang on. I think I think Thrawn's flagship is actually named after a Greek mythology reference. Okay. Let me lay the Chimera. Yeah. So there we go. That's our in. All right. All right. Totally. Um. But I guess what what bugs me the most about Reyna really is just that I think she could be an interesting character, and I think she there's a lot that's been set up for her to have an incredibly interesting interior like life. Yeah. Definitely. Um, with like how her motivations have been described in previous books, how like her actions within different relationships with characters have played out, like um, and I, I don't, I guess I don't feel any of that yet. Like we're we're early stages, but especially mm-hmm. at this point in the series where, I mean, to me it feels like we're at the point where it's like we're gonna get a lot of different perspectives for this one, kind of like we did in the last one. Is my assumption? Yeah, definitely. What that worked well for was like. We already know all these characters pretty well. Mm, yeah. So we get to sort of uh, develop them out further, but also get to keep what uh, Riordan wants to show of their character arcs more contained. Uh, like, like you know, you can you have a few chapters that are all about Frank, right? Yeah. Um, but we're seeing a lot of rush setup because if that's the same format here, we're just not going to have the same time to spend on Rain as a character. Yeah, that's that's a really great point. I hadn't, I hadn't thought of it that way, but you're right. And I I think it's I think it's also just disappointing that we are getting like 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 we are finally getting like a more I guess like diverse cast of like point of view characters. Mm-hmm. Uh 
And for it to largely seem like Reyna is like a pretty generic character, like it doesn't feel like she's being done justice, I guess. Yeah, so far. Def- definitely. She she feels like she feels like Roman Praetor number two. A little bit, yeah. Which and I guess that. Uh-huh. I, I was about to say. Well, I guess that was what we thought of Jason to begin with, but we only really started to like Jason at the end of Lost Hero. Yeah, Reyna does not have that kind of time. No, she doesn't. I mean, listen, maybe this book is all fucking alternating, uh, alternating fucking, uh, who was in the first chapter? Jason. It was Jason. Maybe it's just all alternating Jason and Reyna chapters, but <laughs> I have I have a feeling that's not true. Probably not, no. I think if, if, if another Heroes of Olympus book came out with no Percy Jackson POV chapters, I think Raiden's house would actually get burned down. <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> I, I, I just cannot get over the air turned frigid, the sound of the wind was replaced by a cacophony of voices whispering in a thousand languages. Rena's insides felt like a giant piragua. Cold syrup trickled over crushed ice, her favorite treat from her childhood in Viejo San Juan. Like that, that sounds pretty tasty. It sounds tasty, right? I I would love <laughs> some piragua right now. But it I feel like that is such a, like, surface level and, like, nothing sentence to be written, I guess. And mm-hmm. so, like, out of place that it felt like Rick Riordan was like, okay, I need to need to put in some stuff, uh, like, with her background. I need to shove that. Okay, she's teleporting. She's feeling awful. Uh, what You know, oh, it's kind of like when your, your insides feel like ice. Kind of like this. Like, I don't know. I gotta say, I think, I think you're right. I also think we have some fucking cheek. Uh, criticizing Rick Ryden's segues, given how the intro to this episode went. <laughs> totally fair. <laughs> totally fair. You know what? I, I'm i not going to claim to be an expert. Rick Ryden sold a million copies of every book. That makes him God, basically. Uh, I, I'll, I'll bow down at his temple. I'll burn the fucking golden calf for him if he wants me to. Uh, but I guess he wants me to... What does he want? Does he want me to burn the... Ten Commandments and look up to the golden calf. Is that what? Is, uh, has there been I a think... hard Christian turn against the Percy Jackson series? I wonder, like the same way as Harry Potter. Uh, there has to have been, right? Because like the 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 actual text of the books is like it it never really delves into the Christian thing. In fact, it consciously goes out of its way to dodge it several times. Mostly, but, like, the the you know the people who do those things have never actually read the fucking books. <laughs> Uh-huh. I think they would just be like, this is paganism. Yeah. No, definitely. Oh, I found another evil thing that Reyna did also. Oh, yeah, go ahead, please. Uh, uh, harvesting unicorn horns to put in uh-huh. a little energy drink she gives for Nico. Oh, God, yeah. <laughs> unicorn draft, apparently more effective than uh, Ambrosia because it doesn't uh, risk setting him on fire. They just shave unicorn horns into fucking Gatorade, I guess, and give that to him. Not to say I'm not curious about it, you know, but also it feels very (laughs) convenient, I guess. Like, it feels like the more interesting thing to do would be like, fucking, okay, here here we are, we're in this dangerous situation, we have to try and keep Nico on his feet, and in addition to everything else that's giving us a headache, we're having to try desperately to balance giving him enough nectar that he recovers and not enough that he, like, catches fire. And that's, yeah. like, something we're constantly having to fucking keep track of. I think that... It, it seems... All that all this tells us is that uh, Reyna is, is an asshole who hates unicorns, I guess. Basically. Yeah. 
sorry, I, I started reading a blog. I should admit to that. Um, I, I was half distracted by reading a Catholic review of Percy Jackson. What the um, fuck? <laughs> How's that looking? Okay, this book is ta- this re- article is tagged Catholic Mom Book Review, Homeschool, Parenting, uh, and uh, they 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 don't like uh, that Sally murders uh, Smelly Gabe at the end. Uh, they don't like uh, that the kids go into the uh, Aphrodite Hephaestus cucking uh, ride, <laughs> and they don't like the they don't they say that uh, the the part where the televangelist sees uh, sees something different than everyone else is morally relativistic New Age baloney. <laughs> God, that was Pat Robertson, right? He's in there with his Lamborghini for the Lord. Fucking must. Be. I mean, he just died, right? Like, yeah, exactly. He's, he's he's definitely in hell. Uh, and he is down there seeing something different. You know, Jade. I really think I'll, I'll save this for the end. But at the end, remind me. I want to ask just some questions we should keep in mind for the series. Uh, okay. Given to us by CatholicAllYear.com. At the end of the book, or just the end of the episode? In the episode. In the episode. Okay. Uh. That'll, that'll be our third segment. Anyway, you're right. I just don't... The unicorn... Like, I... They should just have to be doing, like, resource management, right? Yeah. And this is so much less interesting, which is that they have a completely different thing. But, you know, it's not like it's completely recovering, Nico. I don't know. It just... It feels like creating an interesting problem and then instantly solving it for no reason. Uh-huh. Because you could also just give them the ambrosia and not mention it. Exactly right. This is it. This is Rick Riordan saying like, "Oh, what if what if readers react like this, and then anticipating in a way that is like you just hate to read it, right? And forgetting that his fucking backspace key exists." Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> this is forgetting that your backspace key exists is such a common problem in the series, though. <laughs> yeah. If we're con- like, it feels so much like Rick Riordan will stick something in and then just like have to work around it rather than like replacing it. Yeah, that's true. Pompeii as a setting is pretty cool. It is pretty cool. We the, like the the descriptions of like the fucking statues of like the people who died during Pompeii are like legitimately kind of creepy. Definitely, yeah. It's like it's one of those things that you hear about in real life, and you're like, oh sure, but then you just like think about the concept of a bunch of like scientists or whatever discovering these ashen remains and like making plaster figures of them that you like it, it just gives you the creeps yeah definitely and we we finally get the return of the very confusing lamours from i think the last book oh yeah no maybe two books ago i don't remember at this point no it was uh it was last book it was house of hades because it was uh when they went to venice with frank and he had his glow up Right, they had to eat the crackers. Okay. Yeah. And we were like, why does why do these get brought up for like a paragraph as though they're gonna be really important and then are never brought up again? I guess mm. maybe it's because of this. It's it's so that um Raina could make the joke about it seeming like Nico is annoyed that people keep asking him if they're called lemurs. Uh-huh. Because I think that happened <laughs> bet- last book as well. It, it, it did. I guess that's funny. <laughs> This whole setup of, like, these three are being pursued the whole time. They're, like, I think they're almost in, like, the more desperate position of the two groups, it feels like. Yeah, definitely. And I I like that as, like, a narrative sort of positioning with, like, one side as having it a bit harder than the other, even though Mm. one of them, the other is, like, literally the main quest, I guess. 
It sucks to be a side character, is what we're learning. Kinda, yeah. Although I will say, I think, so so far, uh, like, my fears about, like, it just kind of seems like these three are clumped together because that's how the plot shook out. I kind of... Actually, no, that's not true. That's not true. We get some hints at, like, uh, a developing dynamic between uh, Reyna and Nico. And Reyna and Coach Hedge. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she, uh, he wants her to give him steroids. Yeah, and, and and she has, like, interrogated the information about his family out of him much faster than, like, the crew did. This is true. <laughs> go go into a bit more depth on uh, her and Nico, though. Yeah, uh, we... One of the things that uh, we do get because of, like, the heavy-handed backstory foreshadowing, at the very least, is that, like, it means it lays out very quickly that she feels, like, quite a lot of kinship with Nico. Because they both seem like kind of loners who have fairly traumatic pasts who are kind of just like single-mindedly focused on like whatever bullshit is in front of them right now. Uh-huh. And I I really like the moment where like uh, she she thinks about putting her cloak on him as a blanket and then kind of backs away from it as like, no, 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 he's not my younger brother. He's a subordinate or whatever. I'm like, I don't know. N- Nico has an absent older sister figure. I wonder if uh, wonder if this might be going somewhere. I would think so, right? And there's a lot of interesting sibling dynamics in this, like, sort of group. Like, Nico has Hazel, but that's weird, right? There's weird stuff there. Yeah, and it also, it also, I, I, it does kind of put a damper on one of the things that I liked about uh, Son of Neptune, which was the idea that, like, Nico was trying to move into Bianca's position as the older sibling with Hazel, rather than, like, l- looking for a replacement for Bianca. Yeah, that never played out. To be to be honest, I don't feel super like we've gotten a lot with the Nico Hazel relationship. Yeah, they actually come to think of it, they pretty much barely interact in House of Hades. That's really disappointing because the book is fucking called House of Hades. <laughs> it should be about the two kids of Hades. You would think so. Hazel's a major character in there to some extent, but Nico uh-huh. The thing is that, like, so much she doesn't get a lot of chapters, and they all have to be dedicated to the magic thing. So there's just not really room for her to go over anything with Nico. That's the problem, yeah. And with Nico, obviously, this is the Nico comes out book. Uh, mm. But again, there's simply shrimply like they don't get to have those moments together ever. That that makes me sad. Mm. Like yeah. it doesn't. Will this be the book where that happens? It feels like it won't be. Probably not. They are, like, heading in opposite directions from one another at high speed. Exactly. Uh, Maybe, maybe like, I don't know, maybe the final battle will be at Camp Half-Blood and they can all, like, reunite together or something. Could be cool. Oh, fucking... Speaking of which... Uh Uh-huh. Octavian is undergoing, um... Oh, I don't even remember what the fuck her name was. The the head mage from uh, Kane Chronicles... Who the fuck? I don't no, know. The one who like did the Boxing Day tsunami. Yeah, of course. He, he is. He is doing that because Rain is like, oh, I wonder what Nico. I wonder what Octavian is up to. I. He seems to be planning his attack on the same day as the Feast of Hope. I wonder if he's being manipulated by Gaia or maybe even working with her. I um, hope no, not. No. No. You made this exact mistake already. Especially because this could, there's enough here for that to not be true, right? 
just yeah. make make this somehow the lead into Trials of Apollo. Make Apollo be like sort of a secret. Like Apollo's been encouraging Octavian to do some shit. Mm. Uh, Octavian nominally wants to defeat Gaia before like before he takes power. Make him actually invest in that and not like a pawn in Gaia's game. You know, like we've we've gotten enough of Octavian for it to be, I think, pretty believable that he's just like, such a jackass with such a blinkered view of everything and is, like, so self-interested that, like, he doesn't need to be manipulated. He's fucking everything up towards his own ends. Like, that's that's compelling. And it's, like, it would also be a really good, like, counterweight to, like, Reyna. Reyna being presented as, like, all the positive aspects of Rome, uh, whatever, however critical of those you may be. Octavian being, like, the scheming, self-interested politician, which is also a thing Rome was famous for definitely and i mean there is something there in that dynamic already right uh octavian mm. is literally descended from like fucking augustus caesar yeah. uh he is like the he's sort of like the er like fascist roman i guess <laughs> like he represents that like quote like ideal of like the roman man uh he's a nepo baby he's a fucking nepo baby for sure uh and Rena does not like have those same characteristics. Like she's not white. She's not like from uh, like a rich family or whatever. Mm. As far as we know, I guess because uh, she could be. Um, she isn't like she's not like a legacy, you know. Yeah. Uh, and so because of all that, it makes her sort of like. It feels like what this is going to be is like that we're the new face of the administration, <laughs> right? Like we're we're the new uh we're 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 putting a new spin on Roman Empire. Yeah, no, I, I Diversity Win, the leader of this child soldier military hunter rump state of a fucking evil empire is a Puerto Rican woman. Yeah, the thing that's happening here is that like it's and it's not just like diversity win. It's also like putting the idea that the problem isn't the problem isn't the system itself. The problem is who's in charge, right? Uh huh. Or the problem is who's trying to take charge. I guess in this case, credit where it's due. As much as I think that is a a dumb narrative and like a very childish way of looking at like politics and stuff. Uh, Rick Ryden has at least identified that the problem uh, could be down to the fact that the guy with all the power uh, is from an insane rich family uh, and yeah. is incredibly entitled because of that. Absolutely. No, the scene where he is like, he like intimidates like Bryce Lawrence or whatever, which is an incredibly rich kid name. Um, <laughs> like right next to the fucking Octavian, right? Um, uh-huh. He intimidates Bryce Lawrence into like keeping under his thumb because he is just has a richer family than him mm-hmm. is that's that's pretty good stuff i was kind of surprised that like um because the uh what's his name michael mikhail i think or wait we're not remembering names this week we've decided we're not doing that i mean i remember what his name was but i'm trying to figure out how to pronounce it wait was there a line in there about him being a hawaiian yes it might not be pronounced Hale then <laughs> Uh-huh. <laughs> All right, let me find this line actually because this line is fucking mad. 
He had broad features, a toasted almond complexion, onyx hair, and proud dark eyes like the old Hawaiian kings. She wasn't sure how a high school linebacker from Hilo had wound up with Venus for a mom, but no one in the Legion gave him any grief about that, not once they saw him crush rocks with his bare hands. Alright. Alright, man. Whatever. <laughs> I... This is... It's like... The, do you remember the guy who, uh, Butch or whatever, the son of Iris? Oh, yeah. Why the fuck do I remember him? He went, he appeared for like a chapter in Lost Hero and then never again. I don't know, but this is the same vibe of like, wow, how could this guy have a woman for a mom? (laughs) (laughs) Surely a guy like this must only have had two gay dads. (laughs) And, you know, it's not... (laughs) Fucking woman for a mom, what am I saying? Um... (laughs) No, you know no, what I mean. You, you, oh, I I thought that was you very cleverly making fun of the absolutely insane things that Rick was saying. No, it is. I thought that, that phrase brought it across very well. Thank you. Okay. I'm glad. <laughs> I just... Okay. Um. Anyway, Mike is... I don't know. This, he's, he's in this position of, like, the reluctant... Uh, second in command where like mm. he thinks that he like owes something to Octavian for being his sponsor into the Legion um, but also is like hey you know maybe you shouldn't uh, bring all these guys who kill people and animals uh, into the Legion I'm surprised that Octavian isn't like recruiting from like people who defected to Kronos or something uh huh I, I kind of felt like that was where this was going I mean, that could be the reveal, uh, you know? That's true. Although... Well, I guess Raina would know about that if she'd been, you know, trying to get this kid put to death. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. If I if I were Octavian, I would simply justify this by saying, yeah, I'm getting a, a bunch of scumbags who are personally loyal to me to use as cannon fodder. Oh, absolutely. I feel like that, that, would, that would keep, like, the people who are objecting to it happy. Yes, uh, you know, I... I would be a better Roman dictator than Octavian. I think he would be. <laughs> you know, I I don't think he would be, to be clear. I think he would be too nice. Um, <laughs> Thank you. I One of the things that is happening here... Something that happens here is like a really goosebumps-ass cliffhanger, like derogatory. <laughs> yeah. Um, like usually I think goosebumps cliffhangers, those are fun. You know, they're it's sort of the format. Like every single chapter, there's a cliffhanger. Something scary is happening, but that's not actually scary until it is. Um, mm. And that happens here with like Coach Hedge being like, worse, there's tourists. Which makes you think that uh, like you're about to, they're ha- about to have to like actually figure out something to do with the fact that there are a bunch of tourists around, but then they don't come up again. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, there's some, there's some like kind of funny-ish. I say it's 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 kind of the same like why immortals are misinterpreting the mist humor that we've had the whole time. Where they, they look up the Athena at the Athena Parthenos and they're like, oh, it's some scaffolding. Right, which I guess what I mean is that like we don't get anything new. They're not part of like the combat. They're not part of like they don't have to per- they don't have to like cl- cleverly dress up the statue to make sure the mortals don't notice. You know. Hmm. It's it's that pointing towards the veil, but not actually, you know, dancing around inside of it. Uh, yeah. Uh, there's a Thalia mention, there's an Ia mention. We could get women back in the book. 
It'd be nice for Thalia to show again to show up in the fucking series where her brother is a main character. Uh huh. <laughs> I swear to God, she's just still lying under that fucking pillar on Olympus where they left her in Last Olympian. I she was to be fair, she did help them out, and I think the yeah Lost no, I know Hero. she was in Lost Hero. Don't at me. <laughs> I'm adding you right now on the podcast. <laughs> Sorry, um, but. Didn't she just also fall down? She the they didn't see her again or something. No, I think she like she was like we'll meet again later and then fucked off and then they see her briefly at Camp Half Blood at the end of the book I think. Right. Okay. But I want like actual shit there. Yeah. I don't know. What the fuck is Nico's history with her? Do we know this? Not oh, really. Wait, I know. I know what the history is. Okay. I know what the history is. Nico probably oh. fucking hates the Hunters of Artemis. Oh, yeah, probably. For trying to... <laughs> for her, uh, his sister being like, I'm going to become a Hunter of Artemis and leave you. Late to dipshit. <laughs> and then dying. And then fucking dying. Yeah, of course he would hate Thalia. <laughs> okay, yeah. No, that tracks. That That explains why they got into some kind of confrontation. It seems to have ended with Thalia trying to shoot him. Because it mentions uh-huh. specifically there's an arrow hole in his jacket. Oh, yeah, I didn't even notice that. But yeah, I could see them fighting. I think that would be like, that's one of those like fan animations you get, right? Like you never <laughs> actually see it in the books, but someone is like so inspired that they make like a fanomatic. That would be pretty cool. That would be cool. Uh, I truly don't like the priorities of the series often confuse me. I Can I tell you, like com- be completely honest and tell you what I feel like right now? What's up? I feel like we just read one of the more boring chapters of the Kane Chronicles. <laughs> you know, it's it's always a good feeling when someone like someone puts a name to something that you've been thinking but haven't quite been able to put your finger on. Uh-huh. I think you're you're absolutely right. That is kind of how these chapters feel. Like I've been I think Kane Chronicles positive recently because I've been pretty separated <laughs> for them. But there were yeah, some... there's been four books. But there were some bleak stretches in there, and this feels like we're in one of those, like, yep, so, I mean, I guess there's some good stuff in here. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's, you know, it's kind of interesting, like, you know, like, this character, I guess this is kind of like, Uh uh-huh. It's like we're at the start of Red Pyramid, and we're, like, 16 chapters in, and, like, character introductions are still happening. Yeah, that's, that's what it feels like. It, what if Blood of Olympus ends up being bad? That would suck. That'd be... I, I don't think it will, but this, I think what's happening is that this is the first, like, this is the worst set of chapters we've read in a while, I guess. You know, that's true. That This is probably, like, the first outright whiff. And not even, like, that bad of a whiff. Yeah. But, like, yeah, Mark of Athena and House of Hades were both pretty solid all the way through. Like, we've, we've been pretty good since, like, the train wreck at the end of Son of Neptune. Mm-hmm. And... This is the first just, like, I guess that was all right that we've had yeah, in a while. That just happened. I think I was just disappointed. Like, I am disappointed in these chapters for not offering up a more interesting picture of Reina, the character. Yeah. And the con, like, the battle at the end isn't even that good. Um, like, we we get, like, a classic uh, Rick Riordan, like, three pages of setup, or, like, three chapters of setup, and, like, three three pages of battle it's uh uh raised from the dead roman zombies versus some other roman undead with a praetor leading them 
what a new and innovative direction for a battle in this series. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which I guess I guess is more forgivable if you've waited a year between these books, but still. No, absolutely. But still, it's just, it doesn't play out interestingly. There's no, mm. like, the... There is no, like poignant character beats hit within the battle there are no there are no like compelling action sequences described yeah coach hedge becomes possessed but that doesn't really end up mattering yeah reyna just clunks him on the head and then that's it and diocletian's scepter which was kind of a it kind of went along with a lot of big stuff in the last book just exploded Mm. i think i don't think it's gone you don't think so I think because Nico makes a point of saying like, wow, I don't know what just happened with that instead of, oh shit, it exploded. So I wonder if it's like, it's like the Master Sword in Breath of the Wild, like you use it enough times and it like, it, it breaks. And uh-huh. then, like, it'll respawn in the uh, Temple of Diocletian or something. Yeah, you get really annoyed because you're like, I'm fighting all these fucking guardians. Now I have to use the fucking <laughs> meteor rod. What, what, what is a meteor rod going to do against the guardians? <laughs> I, I think Breath of the Wild like style gameplay could be interesting for Percy Jackson. I'm imagining Piper, uh, instead of a meteor rod, she gets the cornucopia and it just shoots and out her. You just like, fire food at people. You fire dubious yeah. food. <laughs> That'd be pretty good. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I guess that's, that's possible, right? But what it felt like more to me was a continuance of the trend of Rick Riordan wanting to just sort of like, all right, we got this powerful thing. We got a good, we got a power up. We got sort of a market change in the, the character's strength levels. Uh, let's, let's turn that back down. Let, let's, let's reset that a little bit. He does. He does indeed do that. This is, this is why Percy is no longer invulnerable. Yeah. I'm still on the lookout for like interesting moments where Percy almost died. I guess Tartarus was that, I feel like I feel like the interesting moments where Percy could have almost died in this series all didn't need the vul- the invulnerability removed. Yeah, like because they were all the, like the the Gorgon's blood and Son of Neptune. Like you could argue, well, he drinks that and he eats him from the inside out, so that makes sense. I think it would have been really interesting with like his brief, weirdly underexplored hydrophobia arc in uh, Mark of Athena. Yeah, like I don't think the invulnerability stops you from drowning. <laughs> Not just that, but the part in Son of Neptune where he is like he is like um drowning in the earth. Yeah. Uh like I think it feels a little bit like the only reason Rick Riordan has done this is because I don't know, it's sort of setting up the big set piece at the end where two of them get captured by like Gaia's forces and their blood is used to like will awaken her, right? Well yeah, but you can you can still capture Percy and you just like if, he, if you've got him, like, chained up or something, you just, like, keep poking him with a knife across his entire body until it actually sticks in. Basically. Yeah, I, <laughs> I truly don't. It's not a change that I understand. I'm still complaining about it to this day. Oh, yeah. We we will never stop bitching about Son of Neptune, I guess. <laughs> I guess not. But I think we should stop bitching about these chapters. Uh-huh. Uh, well, hang on, not quite. Uh, you wanted to give us some uh, questions to keep in mind moving forward. Some questions to keep in mind moving forward, just about Percy Jackson. Let's let's return to the first book, and if your kids have already read it or you plan to let them, you may wish to ask these questions. Number one, what are the consequences for the people and gods in this book who are involved in affairs outside of marriage? For instance, Percy's mother, Poseidon, Ares, Zeus, 
What about all the children at Camp Half-Blood, none of whom has an intact family? Do you think this is a good situation for them? Uh, no, and I would go so far as to, to say that that might be the point. <laughs> uh, number two, what happens when we die? Is it possible as we read in this book that humans see what they want to see after they die? Would this be a dangerous thing to believe? Uh, I thought the point of the book was not like, it's not what you want to see, it's like your sincerely held beliefs or what are reflected. Uh, number three, uh, Poseidon tells his son Percy, I am sorry you were born, and calls him an unforgivable mistake. Do we believe that there are children who should never have been born? Does our <laughs> god ever make mistakes? <laughs> no, and that might be why uh, Chiron very early clarifies the difference between an Olympian god and capital G god. New age bullshit, Jane, I'm sorry. New uh, <laughs> Rick Ryden is being very generous to these fucking people, and I don't think he should have bothered. <laughs> Number four, Percy's mother thinks that her life wouldn't, quote, mean anything, unquote, if she let someone take care of her. Do you agree with us? I mean, I think it's okay to let people take care of you sometimes, but also, you know, I think she definitely should have killed Gabe. I think that's one of the coolest things that Sally Jackson has done. Well, here's the final one. Percy decides not to kill his stepfather, but he leaves the head of Medusa for his mother, and she uses it to kill her husband, since he is very mean and beats her. Is it morally acceptable to kill someone under these circumstances? Yes. Did Percy help his mother by leaving his weapon for her? Yes. If you don't want to have these discussions with your child, you should really skip this book. <laughs> uh, instead, this person recommends The Chronicles of Narnia and Redwall. Uh, of course they fucking do. <laughs> Fascinating. There's a there's an update to this post that says that the person the blogger had a discussion where she came with a different blogger, uh, and she came around the idea that uh, he nope that Smelly Gabe wasn't murdered but just imprisoned for eternally. <laughs> Oh, that's so much better. Uh huh. Eventually, Smelly Gabe stopped thinking. <laughs> God, these people are fucking freaks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> when I... was this written? Was this like around the time the Lightning Thief came out? This was 2013. Oh, this person is definitely like part of QAnon now. Oh, fucking definitely. <laughs> Wait, here, let me go to the homepage and see what we got. <laughs> From catholicallyear.com. We've got... I wonder if she's one of those Catholics who hates the Pope. Ooh, that'd be interesting. But refuses to become a Protestant because they're fucking cowards. <laughs> oh, this is a boring blog. Aw. This is a very boring blog, I'm sorry. Oh, wait a second. She's a family blogger. Uh-huh. Uh, like, it looks like what part of her thing is, like, showing off all of, like, here's my kids, here's my... Oh, dear uh, God. <laughs> um, let's see. What's the gain by saying no to abortion? A story of teen pregnancy, grandparents' prayers, and me? Okay, I think I'm closing this blog now. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> all right. Jane. Oh, the segment. Not hat. Uh. I feel like we're gonna be fucking fighting over scraps in this part. Orum and Argentum are in a very committed, loving relationship. <laughs> the dogs? The dogs, yeah. Alright, sure. Uh, my pick is uh, Blackbeard. Was he in this? Oh, he was, kind of. He mentioned. was. Uh, Reyna mentions the time she spent with the pirates after uh, in during Sea of Monsters, and that included Blackbeard. Yeah. Who had a very homoerotic relationship with Jack Rackham, if Black Sails is to be believed, so... 
Uh, I mean, he had a uh, fucking our flag means death or whatever. Everyone is like, oh, he's so gay for uh, Steve Bo- Steve Bonnet. I should call. I, him, I should start calling show. him Steve Bonnet. <laughs> that'll show him. Just, that'll show him. <laughs> <laughs> you really stick one to the uh, to the fucking OMFD fans. You're gonna you're gonna trade slaves. Well, I will call you Steve. <laughs> I'm gonna call him Drumpf. <laughs> The, the big orange pirate. This might be the worst episode we've made in a while. <laughs> <laughs> is this the worst episode of Unwise Girls? Shortest forum thread in the history of Unwise Girls forums. One post that says yes. <laughs> I I think I think largely our quality is not always pegged directly to the chapters, but sometimes there's a relationship there. <laughs> Maybe sometimes I. I've had a, you know, I had fun still. I had fun. You know what? You are fucking, like, smoke-brained and sleep-deprived. I have no fucking excuse for how I've been. (laughs) You have tummy troubles. This is true. Your brains are liquefying. (laughs) Alright. Our intro and outro music is Super Mario by Space Pony. You can find that at OC Remix. Our cover art is by Vera at Ensmith underscore N on Twitter. Hosted by the Moonshot Podcast Network, moonshotpods.com, or goodfuckingpodcast.com. We had a wonderful and successful uh, time with Moonshot recently, and we are going to uh, continue on. Remember, special treat, special treat in June. Keep a fucking eye on the feed. <laughs> if you want to find us, you can go to cohost.com slash unwisegirls or twitter.com slash unwisegirls. We've got links to our uh, social medias, our updates on when episodes come out. We've got ver- visual companions. We have um, links to our Discord and our email. If you want to support us, you can leave a five-star rating interview on your podcast app of choice, although I don't know why you would want to after this episode, unless you really <laughs> just love us. Uh, you can Do talk to us. Do us emotionally support us. Please emotionally support us. It's a really hard time right now. Um, <laughs> you can tell a friend about us, or you can go and help us out with a bit of uh, cash flow pr- support. That's uh, patreon.com slash unwisegirls, where for a dollar a month, you get the Discord role of Camp Counselor. For $3 a month, you get the Discord role of Friend of Bacchus, as well as all of our bonus content. Yep, on the bonus show, we have just... Uh, as we've alluded to a couple of times in this episode, finished watching all of Black Sails, uh, one of the best TV shows of the 2010s, uh, and I am genuinely really proud of our wrap-up episode on it. I think we, like, dig into the themes in a really, like, in a really interesting way, and we get quite a lot of interesting discussion out of it. Uh, and next week, we'll be uh, reading The Widower's Two-Step. That's right. The second book in Rick Riordan's Detective series. Mm-hmm. And for $5 a month, you get the Discord role of Venus is Chosen, all of our bonus content, and a special thank you at the end of every episode. Speaking of which, this week we'd like to thank Isle of Sammy's Great, Danny, Tana, Bree, and Erica. Thank you, everyone. Thank you. And as we always say, at the end of every single episode. See you next week, Camp Half-Blood. See you next week, Camp Half-Blood. Bye-bye. Lights. Camera. Ah.
adaptations. Ever watched your favorite book become a movie and said, huh, well that certainly was a weird decision? Of course you have. Hollywood is constantly making changes for their adaptations, and this podcast aims to answer the question of why. Join host Emma Shannon and a different guest every month on Unnatural Selection, a new Moonshot Network podcast, as they talk about a film, its source material, and what makes an adaptation good, faithful, and less commonly, good and faithful. Check out episode one, coming to a podcatcher near you on February 15th.